to this day, I tell people in a list of the greatest adaptations of comics to film, you cannot not include Popeye. Okay. There's your cup. I'm just looking at, is there anything here I don't want to be in the frame? (laughs) Oh, that's a smart... Oh, that's the same old crap behind but, but, me. <laughs> before, yeah, before I record, I'm like throwing things off the desk. Like, no, get that off of here. Yeah, anyway. understood. So, all of your uh, old Maxim magazines from 1998. <laughs> 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 oh, I'm just joking. So, uh, you mentioned the podcast with Jerry that you've been doing a couple of times recently, and as it- oh yeah, well the the well are we already to plugs. We're doing our plugs. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Well, no, it's, uh, I mean, we've launched the Tesla City Stories podcast, mm-hmm. and about half of the month, because uh, we release something every week, half of the month are actual episodes of the TBC shows that we do live, and then for the other two weeks, one of them is me telling history, the stuff I've researched, you know, about the TBC, so that I can do here in my apartment, and I do. Uh, it's not video, so thank God. Thank God. I'm sitting there in my bathroom going, the TBC is a blah, blah, blah. Uh, And the other one is me and Jerry chatting. It's all behind the scenes stuff of our show. And this one that's coming up this week, in fact, it probably drops tomorrow. We're going to start interviewing our cast because we've got awesome people in our cast. So it's cool. We go over to Jerry's house. We do a little recording and then we put it up there. I wonder if anyone listens or cares. But that's all you do. In fact, it's the same thing with this podcast. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I, I really appreciate, by the way, I will say this to the camera, right to it. Wait. Um, yeah, there we go. Thank you, everyone who does listen. And uh, yeah. I see the comments and we've got some regular folks who are always very kind mm-hmm. and <laughs> and very appreciative of the fact that, it, you know, we're just doing this crazy nonsense where it's just us catching up but if you're enjoying it i appreciate you hello um you'll never get any messages from me because i avoid that shit but chad is awesome and chad will talk to you (laughs) unless you approach him on the street late at night um wearing a mask don't do that don't do that do you ever get that chad people on the street going hey prodigious saps Woo! Yeah, it's one of the saps all Woo! the time. <laughs> you know what? I, I very rarely ever, pretty much nobody ever recognizes me from being in blackguards too. It's only when I'm wearing one of our t-shirts that I'll get and comments then they're like, like, "Oh man, I love that band!" Love the, and they're like, band, Wait, yeah. you're, and I, "Really?" I've, I've, I've occasionally screwed with with people. Like, I don't tell them right away that I'm. <laughs> in the band. You're like, I like them too. I don't even know where I yeah. got this shirt. I think I, I don't know, like a. Like some sort of Buffalo exchange thing. I don't even know where I got it. <laughs> There's one guy I met at the grocery store as I was checking out the self checkout. And uh, he's like, man, I love blackguards and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, really? Yeah. How'd you, how'd you find out about it? I was kind of quizzing him at first. <laughs> and then I finally, I finally dropped. He said, well, I'm, 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 the, I'm kind of in the band. And he goes, you're fucking with me. No, don't, <laughs> don't fuck with me, dude. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Patrick, I, Patrick gets recognized all the time because he's got the rock star hair. Oh, well, and, that, that, and he's that like, can help. you know, seven feet tall. So he's, I, kind of I, hard to uh, miss. I am not even 
uh, screwing with you. There was once oh, I was on the bus here in Portland, and I saw someone on the street here with a Zuzu's Pedals t-shirt on. I oh, don't wow. know how that happened. And they appeared to be, you know, maybe 30s. So I, I'm like, did you see us when you were a baby? And, I mean, I didn't understand how that could have happened. But since I was on a bus and we were passing by, I was just sort of like, I couldn't even get off and go, that was, I was in a band <laughs> in Houston, Texas. How do you even, what? <laughs> You're chasing him down the street. Hey. <laughs> Come back, recognize me. <laughs> Remember, I had hair, it was really long. I had really long hair. And Those actually days. Is, I'm going to link to this. Uh, there is actually a, a full performance uh, it's oh. from a reunion show. At, at Royal Jelly. Yeah, I've there. seen those, actually, those clips. It's great. It sounds good. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. And that was the crazy reunion show where we had everybody, you know, that has ever been in the band, like, get up there. It's like, uh, for a while, we had uh, Derek Holbrook up there on keys, and we had Dwight on keys, and mm-hmm. Jerry on keys, and yep. we had... Um, we had multiple bass players and Mac Project. So it was a lot of fun. I do remember that night. That was awesome. And it was also not in my tux because by that point, two years after we'd broken up, that tux had been destroyed. There was no, I wore the, the top hat, but I was like, yeah, that tux was gone. Was you it the same I tux you wore at, tux- at work? Was it? No, that we didn't really, we wore black pants and, and, dress shirts i would wear a different tux coat because i like a tux i like a tux but it wasn't the one with tails i never did tails at at river oaks theater okay Uh, the tux with tails was one i had from literally my high school prom that my girlfriend at the time had bought for me after prom she thought i looked really good in it so she bought the tux always get a rich girlfriend chad that's my my uh recommendation so that was the one I wore on stage in Zuzu's Pedals and wore it till it literally fell apart pretty much and also t- tore it up on purpose at the end of our last show thinking, I'll never wear this again. And then we did a reunion and then I stapled it together. <laughs> but the Royal Jelly like Show. Kylo Ren. The, <laughs> yes, it was very much. I was pre-Kylo Ren. It was the second <laughs> reunion show where even that gag couldn't work anymore because the pieces were gone. So that was oh, the no. second reunion show at okay. Royal What about anyway, the top hat? The top hat, I still have. Nice. Back there, yeah. Um, I love that top hat. I and just take care of it. And I have had opportunities to wear it since. But no one goes like, oh God, is that Brendan Jones, formerly Jesus Pedals? Yeah. Yes, it is. I know. <laughs> I know. The fame is hard. Uh, but I, I do, like I've said before, I envy you, not not the like rec- recognition thing, but man, you're still living the dream. I love that you're just still, you're making music and you're living off of it. That just impresses me. Impresses the hell out of me. Living off of it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's not yeah, a I mean, hobby I'd... for you. It's your job. Right, right. Yeah. I've somehow and... managed to squeeze by without a day job for past 14 years, whatever it is. Jeez, yeah, it's, it's so jealous. I, I am very fortunate. We're all very lucky. I'm also very, just very lucky to have the bandmates that I have who are they equally like as cool people, insane. But again, yeah. I've, I've never met them. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, uh, I think you, you and I have only met a couple of times, right? 
<laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, there was that time that you came by, I was a start pizza, and you walked by, and you're like, you're going to finish that? And I was like, <laughs> dude, if you're that hungry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. That was good times. <laughs> I was there. I, I miss Star Pizza. Can you box one up and send it this way? Uh, you know, that is one of the things we were very fortunate to still have in Houston. They're still around. I'm glad they're it's still, still going. Fucking awesome. Yeah, they're great. Um, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that that is one thing that has not changed. 59 Diner is gone. House oh. of Pies is still around, but they're not 24 hours anymore. What? Thank you, pandemic. Yeah. Was oh, that's a post pandemic. Uh, post pandemic. So, yeah. They they well, they also got hit by a fire. That was before the pandemic. I had heard about that. Every now and then I get Houston news. Every now and then it's like uh, I signed the petition for the Revokes Theater. You know, I was like, don't tear that down. I heard about the fire at the House of Pies and I was like, no. And it's like, it's still okay. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) I haven't been to Houston in so long. Yeah. So long. Yeah. Maybe 2003. Yeah. It was when y'all were recording the album. Yeah. And when we came back for the album release show. Oh, yeah. When when was that? I think that was 2003. He said with a squeaky voice. I think That's that right, was I 2003. I, th- I somewhere around. I think as I was playing a show. I think. Yeah, you were not there, and uh, we all cried. <laughs> yeah, sorry, uh, right. But that's okay. Speaking of, st- of nostalgia, which is this show, and we also get excited about things Indeed. to come. By the way, new Quantum Mania trailer dropped, and it got me just so pumped. Yeah, yeah. Marvel, just even their trailers, they do it right. I'm just, maybe I am a Marvel zombie at this point. I can still look at their movies and say, this was not great. This was good. This was an excellent choice. This, uh, but generally speaking, the, the standard of quality, as far as the movies they make, their casting, all that stuff, mm-hmm. it's so high. I just think they're going, yeah. we're lucky, man. Us yeah. nerds are lucky. I kind of felt like they showed a little bit too much in the, that latest trailer. It's like you, you get a lot more of the plot than I was really wanted to know. Yeah, so, I figure. I mean, the whole thing that. seems to be boiling down to though. It, it I do love the fact that Scott Lang, the most inconsequential of the Avengers, is Ant Man, um, which is kind of great. But he, this movie launches the next really big scary stuff in their universe Kang, and and it looks like it's really serious and it's all based on a faustian bargain like what would you do to get that time back it's like you do this thing for me scott lang and i will give you time that you missed with your daughter so it is it's like mephistopheles and faust like uh what would you do Mm -hmm. and it's possible scott lang will be uh, responsible for a lot of terrible stuff. It would be interesting to see Paul Rudd play Ant-Man as this guy racked with guilt as all the Kang movies start coming out. He's like, it's all my fault! I did this! Ah! The, anyway. the people theorizing, too, that he dies in this movie. Which, well, uh, uh, as John pointed out, he goes, name a Marvel movie that comes out where people don't go, oh, this is one where, they, where he dies. <laughs> right, yeah. And that's true of every one of them because the trailers will always show you the, the hero going down or something, getting beaten, and they're like, yeah, that's it. That's it, because he wants out of that contract. Bye, Paul Rudd. Bye. I think they are setting up. <laughs> Bye. This could be where they kill off. I would be willing to bet this is where they kill off possibly – ant-man classic as in hank pym maybe yeah. michael douglas and 
Michelle Pfeiffer, even though we just got her as uh, mm-hmm. Jan, the original Wasp. So it's possible they might die, sacrifice right. themselves. And they are clearly setting up Cassie, uh, Scott's daughter, to be stature, who she is in the Young Avengers. So, yay! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm all about the thing I do like in the comics. These characters are all ageless. We're going to have Hank Pym and Scott Lang and Cassie, and somehow age differences won't matter. They'll just always be there until a writer kills them off, and then some else, somebody else brings them back, and we're youthful now. How'd that happen? I don't know. Comics. Yeah. But the thing I like about the Marvel movies is they're giving us solid takes on all their classic characters, but they are thinking in real-world terms, people age. They've killed off Tony Stark. Uh, Steve Rogers, we actually don't know if he's alive or dead, but he's clearly retired because he's an old dude who mm-hmm. looks a lot like Joe Biden. If you <laughs> if you look at that makeup job they did on yeah. Chris Evans and Infinity War, you're like, oh, so our new president was Captain America. But um, so they do that and they let the new characters come in. And I'm excited for a new Avengers that has Sam Wilson, Captain America, and Rhodey, War Machine. But we're also probably going to have the newbies. We're going to have Ms. Marvel. And who knows? We might even end up with a Miles Morales Spider-Man at some point. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, bring it on. Yeah. Because I don't feel like I got cheated. I got the classic characters. Thor has yeah. his daughter now. He's off and doing stuff in the wherever. Uh, he may or may not ever show up again. I'm yeah. fine. Just keep those characters coming. And of course, we still have you know, Fantastic Four and the X-Men coming, which oh. I'm so excited for to see what they do. With this I know next everyone's crazy excited for a new X-Men, and I am too. I love the X-Men. But there's something about the Fantastic Four mm-hmm. because they've never been done well. Yeah. I mean, they just haven't. And I don't put that blame on anybody particular shoulders. I know they tried with those two movies that third one the reboot was fan, fan four stick as it's often derogatory it was not good but but the thing is is that they just haven't been done well and they're so important they are what started marvel technically yeah it's like yeah. without them we won't have we wouldn't have had spider-man <laughs> doctor strange the x yeah and all that and they are they're corny, but they're they're still important and they're great. And the idea of a family of superheroes, a family of super, of adventurers with distinct personalities and their little gripes and all that stuff. I'm like, I just want that. And what? one of those guys stretches. <laughs> By the way, I, had a, I had a dream about Mr. Fantastic. Last this time. is my audition for Mr. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was interesting, too, that we... When uh, when uh, John Krasinski appeared as as Reed Richards in Multiverse of Madness, yeah, he, obviously he's only in the movie for maybe a minute, but we only we don't really see him use his we do see him use his powers, but it's very like understated. Like he just kind of weep and into frame when he first shows up. Yeah, well, not when and he first then when up, he when starts he first, fighting for half yeah. a second because he he kind of jumps in front of everybody to confront mm-hmm. you know Wanda, and then she just turns him into spaghetti. And he's gone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So they've, they've been very, 
like you know, it feels like Feige's like holding back. It's like, like you just wait, people. Like here's here's some Krasinski for that. you because you asked I, for him, but there's more I, coming. I will later. say I do think that stretching powers, um, because you know those they put money into those other Fantastic Four movies, but stretching powers seem to really task VFX people, where it's like this is hard to make it look good, to make it look yeah. real. And also, in comics, it is just so a visual medium where the artist can draw anything. I always wondered about every time they would draw Mr. Fantastic, like, I have to get somewhere really fast. So he would stretch himself up to, like, the height of a skyscraper and do this, like, walk where his leg is two miles long. And and I'm like, great. Physics still exists, though, buddy. It's like, yeah. how are you balancing as you do that? I'm, uh, that's weird. And where is your weight going when you're slapping down a human-sized foot on a two-mile leg? I don't even get it. <laughs> um, but I don't worry about that when I'm reading comics. I think when they're putting it into frame with with visual effects that should look real, they're they're always going... Oh God! Are we gonna have him turn into a big sheet like he's done? Is he gonna roll up in a ball? Oh God! How are we gonna do that? <laughs> they are—they're yeah. sweating it. They're like fiery guy, no problem. Put that man in flames, not a problem. Invisible yeah. lady, easiest thing in the world. She's right. just not there. Not there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. The thing—I mean, actually—are uh, you a suit versus a CG guy? I think they should do CG. I mean, the suit that they did so in those too. movies was impressive what they did. It was impressive what they did. But they're, it, they're, it takes a stature away also. Yeah. Unless they're, they're they did a really be, good suit and then digitally made him bigger. A la, yeah. like, you know, size distortion, like from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Where it's like, just a guy in a suit, but we made him bigger in every frame. I don't know. Yeah, I mean they're going to be they're going to be missing out on a lot of stuff that they could do with the character if they try to do it practical, and I I sincerely doubt they're going to do it 100 percent practical again. One so of the one done. of the things with the no, I, I agree. One of the things with the fan theories because we listen to fan theories, you and I, because we're nerds. Um, and I do. I think I had said the same thing once it was announced. We've got Fox. We've got Fantastic Four back. Great. Uh, is I sat there going, well, I think it'd be awesome if the quantum realm that they're dealing with isn't really from the comics. It's like, couldn't that also be the negative zone, which is so intrinsically a part of Fantastic Four? And I was like, uh, what if, um, which is a great show and an excellent comic as well. What if, mm-hmm. um, when we get the Fantastic Four, what if they were never native to the MCU universe? Yeah. They came from their own. What if they show up and they are actually from the 1960s mm-hmm. where they're so classic FF? Cause you would get, these are brand new people in this universe, but Reed Richards is like, Oh, well I, I knew a Tony Stark, but different Tony Stark from yours. And so the world wouldn't know them. And they would be fish out of water because they would be in a 60s frame of reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd probably still have Reed Richards smoking a pipe and stuff. I love this idea where it's like, let's not update them. In fact, let's retrograde them. Yeah. And they could still be the amazing team and they prove themselves and the world's like, Jesus. 
but I don't know about Doctor Doom. Do you do you think that because uh, I love this has been this, that, that's a theory that's been thrown around ever since they first got the, the rights back? Wouldn't it be cool if they came from the '60s somehow and then 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 got transported? Dude, them to the going around in the classic Fantastic car, you know, the one that's shaped yeah. like a bathtub. Oh. Do you think that they should do like they did with Captain America? That the the first film is set in their original time, and then they come because I would love if they're going to do that, man. Let's I would stay in the sixties for a while. Let's have an adventure in the sixties. Oh 60s. yeah, yeah, yes. If they did, if they even don't, if it's not the MCU sixties, I don't care. If they I don't just, shoehorn them into the post credit scene of one of the movies and it actually give them their own movie and then have them show up, that would be great. If they're origin movie or whatever their first movie takes place in classic 60s in their universe maybe doom follows them into this world maybe the latveria in the mcu never had a victor von doom and he shows up like wait i'm the king of this place and they're like no we've never had a von doom i mean i would love all that stuff where it's like shit our paradigm is totally weird where's the baxter building there is no baxter building fuck you (laughs) <laughs> because we all know in those yeah. classic adventures of the FF, they often would say, fuck you. Right. Thing would say it's clobbering time. And then it was either Sue or Johnny would say, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I would, I would really, I, I would argue for having the origin story again, because th- this is a popular thing now. It's like, Oh, we've got the origin story already. You know, they didn't do one for Spider-Man. They've never done it. Good. There's talk like a, uh, or James Gunn has already said he's not going to do an origin story for the for the this new Superman. They're just going to jump, jump into know. his early years. We all so, know. but for Fantastic Four, because as you say, it hasn't really been done right yet. I I want to see that origin. And I want to see it done intelligently. Hell's like, yeah! I mean, the first Iron Man, the best one of the best origin stories ever done for a comic book movie. And Period. honestly, that's too. one where. Uh, I was surprised. I mean, I know that you can swap out war for terrorism and Chinese communists for, I mean, but I was just really impressed where it didn't feel like they grafted it into a different era. It was the exact origin story from the old comics, but they made it fit into the modern world so well. I was surprised. I was like, wow, because you read that old origin and it's, it's cheesy. It's he's out there and uh and it's a communist warlord guy and Tony steps across a tripwire and sets off a, a trap and it blows him up and he's got shrapnel in his heart. But all that stuff worked, man. So yes, yeah. put in the right hands, giving it I mean, they did try again in the first of those movies. It just didn't work. But I love the idea of, yes, why are Ben and Reed such good friends? They've known each other for years, but they're diametrically kind of opposed. Smart guy and jock guy. But they got each other's backs. You got Victor Von Doom at college, the brilliant dude, but he, he will not be talked down to by Reed Richards. He's so, And he sets up his own experiment that backfires, and it's Reed tried to warn him. All that stuff. I love that shit. And then getting into that ship uh, without authorization because they've got it. Well, if they do it in the sixties, we have to beat the commies into space and up they go. And if the cosmic rays, when they're exposed to them, if they don't go 
tack, 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 tack. Uh, then I'm out. <laughs> I always love that in the all the origins, they this the sound effects of the cosmic rays, which are also drawn, which I think is always hilarious because you would not see cosmic rays, but Jack Kirby drew them as, as like little bullets of light, and then it's always tack, 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 tack. Would it sound something like this? <laughs> no, that's when Colonel Steve Austin is jumping over a fence. <laughs> that's actually a stock sound effect I got from some Super Friends stuff. It was one of many. I'm oh, sure they used, yeah, yeah. They used it in a bunch of stuff. There's also this one, which I've been using at the end of the show's last two episodes. Oh, <laughs> man, do I love that one. <laughs> Sometimes that would be when they... It's similar to the one where, you know, the logo would spin out and spin back when they were changing locations. Yeah. It's like, that's enough with the Legion of Doom. Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice. (laughs) Ted Um, Knight, he basically did every voice on Super Friends. I think he also did the voice of Wonder Woman. I could be wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What was I going to say? Oh, you know what would be cool, too, with the Fantastic Four? Since they they could do this now, actually, a lot better than they could before before No Way Home came out. This is one of my favorite, you know, original comic things. Is when Spider Man in his first issue, right? Oh, I love he this tries. Too. He goes to the Fantastic, goes to the Baxter Building to meet the Fantastic Four, and they and they're like, "Who are you?" And they start fighting. Amazing Spider Man. They could do that one. now with, with where he is now. Where Tom Especially Holland's Spider Man is, is they now. could do it exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for those who are not up on it, though, at this point, if you're watching this podcast, I'm now <laughs> going to mansplain to you or Brendan explain to you um, that that uh, that in Amazing Spider-Man number one, not his not Spider-Man's first appearance, but his first issue of his comic right. after he got out of Amazing Fantasy. It's such a great idea that Stanley and or Jack Kirby and or Steve Ditko had where Spider-Man is just. He was always a struggling teenager. Uh, he made no money off of being Spider-Man, and he always was worried about Aunt May not getting her medicine or paying the rent. So it's a great idea. He shows up at the Baxter building, breaks through their defenses uh, <laughs> in order to show off, and they're like, well, you're still an intruder. It's like, of course we attacked you. But he's like, I'm, I'm here as a friend. And they're like, okay, Spider-Man, what's up? He goes, can I join you? Do you guys have like a health plan? Yeah. Are you opposed to being a fantastic five? And they're like, you know, we don't make a lot of money off of this. It's a, it, you know, reads patents are what we live off of. And Spider-Man's like, Oh, okay. Well, I'll see you later. And then he and Johnny storm become buddies and then they show up in each other's comics. Yeah. Oh man. Do I love early Marvel. So that would be Cheers. awesome if they could do that. That and would be. Totally I would not awesome. be surprised if they do. They do do that. Yeah. You just said doo doo. I don't. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to. You said doo doo. I couldn't get away from it. it was like, yeah. Uh, switching topics a little bit. Uh, yeah. Last night you were like, "Well, what are we going to talk about?" And, and then we brought up. Why did you bring up Popeye? Oh, okay. Because uh, Blackers was just on tour. A little wasn't really a tour. We just drove out and played some shows in Arizona and came back. That's a tour. Yeah, but we uh, the last date on the tour was in Bisbee, Arizona. Oh, right. Where our friend, comedian Doug Stanhope, uh, lives, and he had invited oh, you know us to come Stanhope. play. Oh, you know Stanhope? Are you? Do you know who he is? 
Cool. I know who he is, and he's very yeah. funny. I mean, I yeah. don't know him, but I know of we, him, yeah. We met him through a mutual friend in Omaha, and and Doug actually came on our podcast uh, a couple oh, years great. ago. Yeah, and he's, he's, he's so cool. He was just – he was basically – it was just we were just having a chat, and he was at one point he was actually sort of interviewing us <laughs> on the <laughs> show. But he's 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 been, but we kept in touch all this time. And Patrick actually went out to to visit him one one time last year. But I, this was the first time I was in Bisbee, and I'd, I'd only heard you know Patrick and and Doug rhapsodizing about it because you know, Doug's not from there. He he just mm. happened to tour through there one time at one point in his career and fell in love with the town, decided to move there. And having been there now, I, I understand why. It's just a really cool little town. Um, I've heard of it, but I don't know anything about it. But the, the and it's an old mining town, so it's um, there's a it's a band, it's it's not in, in in use anymore. But there's a, a copper mine there that was which, which was active from like 1877 all the way through 1977. Hmm. Now you can you can tour the mine. Also. We didn't do that this time, but but so the, t- the town was built around this mine, and it's you know very hilly, mountainous area, a lot of you know gullies and ravines and steep inclines and there's this canal that runs through the town so the houses are kind of built over it and across it and oh. all over the hill so there's like all kinds of gangplanks and bridges now and really steep stairwells and stuff yeah we at one point we actually walked past somebody who was i think buying a coffee from a from, from a vendor or something and, and he i couldn't hear what he said but he he exchanged a joke with patrick as they're walking ahead of me but he the guy you know <laughs> he as he was laughing and he looked like like a Popeye, he had you know very. He, was, <laughs> he had something. He was like, I had a cigar or something. He was holding. He was like, ah. and, and he, he said, "Blow me down." Yeah, and I went. I was trying to tell the guys, like, I remember I just said this place reminds me of Sweet Haven. That, that guy, <laughs> that guy there. Blah, blah, blah. They like, we don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> nerd. Um, so I immediately. Do thought your of the bandmates movie. humor you a lot, Chad? Do they humor <laughs> you a lot? <laughs> humor is not the word I would use. Yeah, but anyway, so I. I you know, I loved that movie, and I'd, I'd actually, uh, when it first came out, I was fascinated with it, and I actually bought this. I happened to find oh, this. Oh, I had that. Yeah, the making of, which came yeah, out like right of. after the movie came out. Yeah, which and, uh, which avoids a lot of talk of cocaine, but uh, <laughs> because it was a promotional thing, so they didn't go too much into the drugs there. But in case um, you, the watchers don't know. Um, in case our viewers are not aware, the town that was built for this film is still there. It was built on uh, this Malta. This little bay it was previously uninhabited area of Malta. Yeah, where uh, and they built the entire town like way beyond anything they actually needed to film, and it was yeah. actually full buildings. It wasn't just prop building front face. It's they unbelievable, built, and it's still there. It's a, it's a they it's a built tourist it so attraction. well, and mm-hmm. that place was so unpopulated that no one messed with it and mm-hmm. then somewhere people i mean decades later they're like we could turn that into a tourist thing so you can visit sweet haven i mean they've mm-hmm. preserved it it's there and mm-hmm. here's the thing i'll say about that movie is it weird that a robert altman adaptation of popeye exists yes is it amazing yes to this day i tell people in a list of the greatest adaptations of comics to film, you cannot not include Popeye because it's not a perfect movie. It has Mm -hmm. plenty of flaws, but holy hell, he nailed it. He nailed the look, the casting, 
the obviously the set is amazing um and of course the score is one of my favorites of all time because harry nelson is a god to me when it comes to singer songwriters i always tend to like the clever people the funny people so a harry nelson a randy newman and elvis costello i like the people with wit in their music and so he was the perfect choice those songs are earworms every single one of them every single one of them Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, well, not the one about Sweepy. No, no, you, you'll be singing that to yourself forever. Yeah. Every song is a fucking banger. Yeah. I don't think anyone's ever described Harry <laughs> Nilsson music as a fucking banger. Banger, man. Yeah. No, I love that score. So everything. Yeah. And if you look as Robert Altman did when he's like, huh, doing Popeye, you go back and you look at the original Seeger cartoons. I mean, actually, the, the comic strips that became the cartoons and he nailed it so well that a lot of people in 1980, when it came out, it was 80 or 81. I think it was, think it was 80. 80. Well, this book, this book came out in 1980. So. Oh, okay. It, yeah. I think, been, I think it was 80, yeah. but when that movie came out, a lot of people were like, that's not Popeye because they were very familiar with what Popeye became. Popeye lasted so long that he became very homogenized and, but the original stuff is so quirky and so weird. And I was like, this did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every one of the supporting characters, all that weird, all the weird inhabitants of Sweet Haven and all that. You're like, they didn't make the transition to the more modern Popeye cartoons. But you go back and originally it was all about the oil family. Popeye did yeah. not show up in that comic strip for a long time. It was just yeah. about the oils. Uh, right. And Popeye stole the cartoon, uh, the comic strip, because he was so beloved as a weird character oh mm-hmm. uh, sorry i'm rhapsodizing so no this is important i love that stuff and i think that uh if altman hadn't run out of money at the end <laughs> if the studio had not said it, we're cutting that budget because he did film it i think uh sequentially so by the time they got to the end of the movie he had run out of money and you can tell the ending yeah. is where it just falls apart and you're like, Oh, wasn't it? It was a, a st- the weather was one of the main things that, that held them up. Right. Cause I think there was whole entire was also, months that they weren't able to film because the weather yeah, was so there bad. There was also a big monsoon kind of yeah. thing. And, and which again, the sets survived. I think some yeah. of it had to be rebuilt, right. but um, that is a thing. But I think mainly it was the studio didn't have a lot of confidence and there were overages because they were paying those people to just live there for months while they were trying to finish that movie. Mm-hmm. So they lived in those sets. Yeah. Those, that, that book does have a lot of those stories about, Oh, uh, party over at this, uh, actor's place tonight. And we're all going to sit around and smoke grass and play guitar. And then the next night party over at this people's house. And, you know, Robin Williams starting into his, um, probably well into his initial fun with drugs period. Um, I will say you can't really tell in the performances. No. I mean, I know they were partying like madmen, but when they showed up to act, it's, you could not have found somebody. Yeah. Better. No. That's why I say casting across the board. Yeah. Across the board. You just sit there going, uh, wimpy. You're like, and, and I, I read the whole thing with, uh, or I, I saw the commentary, I think, on the recently released Blu-ray where Paul Dooley, who plays Wimpy, is like, 
yeah, I didn't really know too much about it. And, and Robert's like going, here, read this, watch these cartoons. He's like, oh, I get it. Mm-hmm. And he's just the living embodiment of the character. Right. Yeah. And Shelley Duvall. Perfect. Born yeah. Perfect to be cast. olive oil. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I saw a clip. I think it's from the making of documentary where Robert, Alt- Robert Altman says that he, ref- he, he insisted that, that Shelley Duvall play olive because they, the studio was trying to throw some other names at him. He's like, they no, always, I'm, I'm not making this movie. If you don't let me have Shelley, he put his foot down with that. Studios always, I mean, they always think they know better, but what they're thinking of is commerciality. They're thinking about, we need at least one name in this movie. Well, Robin right. Williams is hot and undeniably a perfect Popeye. So it's like, they probably were sitting there going, what about Farrah Fawcett? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. She's also uh, from Texas. Like your Shelly Duvall. It's like, yeah, no, we're going with <laughs> Shelly. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I fucking love it. I saw an interview uh, recently last night after we agreed that we're going to talk about this today. I was looking up stuff on YouTube <laughs> after and we found, signed the forms yeah. after the contracts. <laughs> I found a, a really fun interview with, uh, Robin Williams on the Dick Cavett show. I think oh. before they had actually started production on this and he was, he was, oh. Robin was in the process of doing research and watching the cartoons and trying to perfect his, uh, his Popeye voice. And he did it a little bit. And it was funny that the voice on there was sounded almost like dead ringer for the cartoon voice. But what he wound up doing in the film was a little less, you know, not, yeah. a, not a full on mimic of that. And I think Robert Altman may have said, don't, you don't have to do an entire impersonation of Popeye. Like do, do your Popeye basically. But it was just funny that Robin, Robin was capable of actually just doing the cartoon voice, you know, Jack the Mercer's thing that voice. A lot of people also complained about, um, and okay. Robert Altman did have this predilection in his films, which he's both praised for and damned for. He loved ambient sound. He mm-hmm. did not want cleanly recorded stuff. He wanted to get real sound. So if a seagull flew by, he's not going to go, we'll, we'll ADR that later. Well, he didn't want ADR. He wanted to get it where it was. A wind wow. comes by, fine. And he loved filling his soundtracks with other conversation. So some people hate that about Altman films where it's like, look, if you have a main character and you have to really pay attention to follow what they're saying, because also these other characters are in a room talking about something totally else. And I hear them. Um, and I love it because, well, not a lot of people do that, it, but it's very naturalistic. So with Popeye, people are going, Popeye's muttering almost constantly. We have no idea what he's saying because over there is the tax collector and over here is the the chef and, and all, the, all these characters and they're all talking and how do I follow it? And I go, again, you found the right guy to do Popeye because if you watch those original Popeye cartoons, the Thimble yes. Theater... Yeah, they are constant muttering. Mm-hmm. The original classic Popeye is doing exactly what Robin Williams is doing in that movie. It's a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of sides yeah. and all that, thing. and it's all coming out. And it's just uh, it's down sometimes. A lot of it you miss. You're like, did he just insult somebody? Because it went yeah. by really fast. Uh, Robin I mentions that in this in this Dick Cavett interview. He says like those those are really really early cartoons. You got to watch those because he was studying them at the time. Yeah. It's like the, the constant muttering and stuff. And some, some of it was like kind of, if you could catch up what he was saying, it was actually pretty naughty. 
He's yeah, like, whoa, yeah. did he just say that? <laughs> and so he Oh, I, I wonder why she's so bow-legged. You're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I love that 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 it didn't surprise me, but I, I just love that Robin was so into studying the character and trying to get the, capture that aspect of it. Because I'm one of the things that sure made that, a lot of the the stuff is a lot of the stuff's in the script, but I also know Robin Williams being Robin Williams and being <laughs> a freaking genius. Yeah. A lot of the muttering stuff is him. I yeah. mean, it, he improved a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Oh. And uh, oh, shit, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I ain't no physicists, but I know what yeah. matters. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, that that I love that bit. Oh, this the thing about the there was early cartoons, which I think probably lended itself. This is probably where that one of the reasons why this became a thing with Popeye is that they didn't they would animate the film first, and then they would overdub the voices ah. later so yeah. william costello is the original voice Ooh, I'm, i didn't even know that you think yeah i went i didn't i did some research um he they would track their voices while they were watching the the, the completed oh, animated wow. thing so he's probably like coming up with stuff as he's watching it and i don't know like almost like like mystery theater well, science mystery well, science the, theater 2000 I, it's true i think a lot of the um and because the papa the thimble theater cartoons the fleischer studio stuff was real early days of mm-hmm. sound cartoons so after disney got that rolling um everyone's like it's new technology but they weren't didn't have everything nailed down a lot of cartoons from the 30s that the some of the earliest of the sound cartoons they're almost afraid to leave any dead air because they're like going, no, no, the, the gimmick is there's sound. So there's always like whistling going on. It's not just a Popeye cartoons. You watch any cartoons from those periods and it's almost like, because uh, I watch like the three little pigs thing that Disney did, which was also really early. And, it, and it, the the wolf is basically just like going, where are you? I'll get you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are, you dude, are you over there? No, don't get us. I'm coming right here. You're like, yeah. you know, you can take a <laughs> breath right you know you can stop for a second you know that you don't need constant sound so it is interesting that that's a trope of those days but it did fit the character popeye really well right and uh no i'm sorry i i i waited so long for that to get a decent release i was so happy that it finally came out on blu-ray i remember trying because the soundtrack on cd went out of print and I had not had it. I had pirated it from somewhere. Yes. But I wanted I wanted a, a legit copy. And for years, if you ever found that CD, it was like $40 or something. They jacked the price up on used copies of it because it was out of print. And the CD soundtrack still didn't include some of the songs. Mm-hmm. Like didn't include um, everything is food. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and stuff like that. Um, and finally, I think they did when they re-released the Blu-ray, the soundtrack came out with all of the songs in it and some of the demos that uh, yes. he recorded. So good. wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And I, I had, I had found those demos. They, they, the demo, the demos, Harry Nelson's original demos for those songs have been bootlegged for years. And I, I think I found them online. It was like one of the news group things. I found it, you know, back when you could download the, the binary news groups, as they were called, which uh-huh. meant you could upload files with your post. So they would upload bootlegs uh, as 
torrents, I think. No, mm-hmm. not torrents. There was some other format that you would use. You'd have to download all the pieces and then compile it. Yeah. To, to put I it think together. that's the way the use groups used to work is yeah. that they everything had to be broken into much smaller segments and you'd have to join yeah. it all together. I can't remember what the file extension was. But anyway, so I'd heard those demos and it's, it's I, my appreciation for a song like Blow Me Down, which is the song that, that Popeye sings when he arrives in Sweet Haven at the beginning of the movie. It's, it's, uh, I love, you know, I, mean, I have no complaints about the film, but you kind of have to hear Harry's demo to really appreciate the song where he's actually just singing it. Yeah. He, does, he does a little Popeye, you know, voices, you know, here and there, but you're, cause he's actually singing the song. And when Robin Williams does it, he's more kind of talk singing it. And, he's talk singing it, which, which is, which is fun. The whole movie because he doesn't, he actually could carry a tune, but oh, yeah. he's not a singer. But he sells every single one of them, including things like uh, um, uh, when I he needs me and yeah. the sweepy song and all that. It's like, oh, lovely little voice. But he's still basically talk singing. Yeah. And Harry Nelson famously, until he shredded his voice, hanging out with John Lennon, um, one mm-hmm. of the greatest singers of all time. Yeah. Just an amazing, Absolutely. amazing voice. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah. And I didn't really. What's that? He died too soon. I'm just saying, oh, don't yeah. do drugs, kids. Don't do it drugs. Is, yeah, it was really. There's a documentary, a really great documentary, but heartbreaking documentary yep, uh, yep. about him that came out a few years ago. Um, and it's it's very yeah it's very sad. He basically drank himself to death. He did. It's, it's almost it's almost like what's the movie with Nick Cage? Was it Leaving Las oh, Vegas? Oh, Leaving Las Vegas. Yeah, it's essentially that story, but. Over yeah, a, a he just he, he didn't he wasn't able to throttle back and he yeah. just gave into it and but, even had like a, a positive turn towards the end of his life that he couldn't I mean he still was drinking. He's like, "Oh no, I'm falling in love with a new person. It's great. Still going to drink though." And then yeah. away he went. But I, I didn't really know much about Harry. I mean, obviously I'd, I'd read him. I, I mean, I knew I'd seen the movie and I read about him in this book, but I didn't really was know that your introduction to, to Harry Nelson. It was, but I didn't really, it didn't really stick with me. And it wasn't until after he died, unfortunately, that I really started to get into him. It was thanks to my roommates at the time, Paul and Marla. Yeah. Marla had, was already a big fan of Harry. Me and Paul, Paul and I at the time didn't really know much about him. And so Marla around, has always had excellent taste. Yeah. Shout she, out to Marla. Yeah, so she she brought him to our attention. They went out after after Harry died. They went out and bought this uh, compilation, like a multi disc set of his stuff. And they started I, telling I have, me, "You gotta listen have to this that. stuff, man." I think it's like the Harry Nelson anthology or something. Probably, I've got. It's yeah, like yeah. It's like two or three discs. discs. It's right. great. But uh, they were telling me it was Marla at first was telling me, "He's like, you gotta listen to this. He's got this because she knew I was a big Beatles fan, and obviously Harry was as well, and not." friends with him as well and had some great stories about them because they loved him <laughs> yeah they, they they're like in interviews like going as an american artist we like a lot harry nelson we're yeah, addicted nelson. to him yeah yeah and he's great but uh she, she was trying to get me to listen to uh uh she, she brought up his cover of of uh you can't do that where yeah. he off his first record where he blends in a lot of other quotes from other yeah, people's songs he, he basically does a, um um like a mashup of different yeah. Beatles stuff. It's very clever. My babe, don't buy me presents. Yeah. How can you laugh when you know I'm down? Yeah, beep, yeah. Beep, 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 yeah. It's so cool. He does the but, whole thing. And that was that was clever. But the thing that really got me is Paul. Paul, knowing my sense of humor, he had listened to the whole disc and he he's homed in on 
um, Joy, which is off oh, of, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's it's either Nielsen Smilson or Son of Smilson. I can't remember which, which album that's off of. But uh, Joy, which is essentially a send-up of a country song, yeah. like one of those yeah. talking countries. The thing and, that, again, he, he, wa- he could write a beautiful ballad, mm-hmm. but he also just had this um, like mischievous eighth grader sense of humor. So yeah. the whole idea, like uh, one day I met a girl named Joy. Yeah, it's like she took me for a joy ride. He's right. doing all these like <laughs> little. So he's doing all these. Jokes. You can almost hear him going. And uh, the moment <laughs> yeah. that got me, this is the moment that made me fall in love, fall in love with him immediately. Was when towards the end, of, it's at the end of the last verse. We goes, you know, things went good, and they went bad. <laughs> it went good, good, bad, bad. Good, good, bad, good, bad. Which is exactly that. Good, bad, good, bad. Which good, good, totally, bad. that was my my dad's sense of humor. That's exactly <laughs> the kind of stuff that he would do. So I just to say, oh, I love this guy. And he wasn't, that's like you say, he wasn't even showing off his voice in that song. It was just, that mm-hmm. was, that song was all about a sense of humor. Yeah. And do you have other songs like, like, uh, Remember Christmas or, um, oh God, what's another really good one? Spaceman. What's amazing um, about, I his mean, voice I, is just I, I think Spaceman <sighs> was probably his first big hit. And then of course, uh, everybody's talking at me from the soundtrack of Midnight Cowboy, uh, was his big hit. But what's funny is everybody's talking at me. He didn't write one of his other biggest hits, which is still beautiful is his version of without you. Like, Oh yeah. He didn't write that either. But he destroys. I mean, that one, oh, God. So a lot of the ones that made him the big money weren't his originals. I mean, he also had plenty of his own songs that charted. But it always struck me as funny that, and uh, Into the Fire, he didn't write Into the Fire either. Yeah. Oh, he didn't write Jump in the Fire? Jump in the Fire. I don't think he did. Really? Okay, I might I might be wrong actually on that one, but but essentially it's just that when he sang a song, he made it his own, and the ones that he wrote, which is why you definitely want to get his albums. Yeah, is it? Uh, it's just a perfect melding of a personality to music, similar to like I was saying, like a Randy Newman, where the wit and the personality is inescapable with the sound that he's making. And yeah, if he wanted to get schmaltzy, you're going to cry when you hear that song. You know, I mean, yeah, can't live, living lives without you. And then at the end, he's like, can't live, can't get it It's amazing what he does. Where, yeah. yeah, his range. And you're just like, what the hell? I did that karaoke once. And when I hit those notes, people are like going, oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> because I went for really? it. I want to hear I you got, sing that. I got, Oh, no, it's all right. I got there. I, I was really impressed with myself. And then afterwards, uh, when my testicles dropped again, I was uh, very grateful. I, have no, I to- love that. I love I just love that guy. And yeah. he was taken too soon. And he also had a real theatrical bent as well. A lot of his songs are story songs, which I also love. So him being asked to do Popeye makes total sense. I mean, obviously now, or since you became a fan back in the day, you've probably heard or seen the point, right? 
I have actually never seen The Point. What? I need to watch it. I know. I know. The Point has been released several times. I mean, as albums with different narrators. Mm -hmm. The Point is a tiny little musical for kids, essentially. But really, it's for everybody that he completely conceived of with characters in it and little songs. And there's a narrator telling you the story. And on the original album, it's just Harry Nilsson himself. And he's very funny. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of when you hear Shel Silverstein reading his own poems. So that's great. But then they were like, oh, for the animated version, they had Ringo Starr do the narration. Right. He was and a really great. good friend of Harry's. Yeah. Yes, of course. Um, <laughs> I love the end of uh, at the end of one of his albums. Again, I can't remember. Is it Son of Schmilson where he does the. Uh, the big sweeping, yeah, uh, most wonderful uh, world, world in the world, most wonderful world in the world. <laughs> and night, at the end, I was like, um, <laughs> yeah, it's like, good night, Richard. He's like, good night, Harry. Good night, Richard. See you next album. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I thought it. that was Ringo actually, and it's, it's, it sounds like him. No, it's it's it's, it's the producer. It's the producer, Richard. Uh, I forget his name. Um, I thought th this entire time you're blowing my mind because, of course, Ringo's name I, is Richard Starkey. I know. I thought, I thought it was, thought too, was like, I looked at it's got to be Ringo. It's a, it looked like, like they played Harry. for Paul. Check it out. Bye, it's Ringo. Richard. No, it's, it's, it's the producer, not, Richard. Yeah. I forget his name, Richard. Anyway, yeah. So, yes, they did collaborate which on makes plenty sense of stuff. because that was the guy, yeah. And then there's all the things. That's the so Sunder Schmilson thing at the beginning. I think it's that Son same album. Of Schmilson, because he did the. That's, that's Richard, too, because he's going, he's, he's trying to freak out the producer. That's oh. the skit they did. It's like, Harry, is that you? <laughs> well, they, they, it was also Stop to it. promote his, uh, his movie, the, um, yeah. uh, Son of Dracula thing. Oh, yeah, Boy, right. I forgot about that. That's, right. uh, it's not worth watching. But it's, I was like, it's like, uh, Mar uh, Magical Mystery Tour, really like going, this is a vanity project, and even if you're a huge fan of these people, you're kind of like going, okay, well, at least the music's great. I guess I never, I don't think I've ever seen that either. Ringo I, Starr plays Merlin, does, and Harry oh Nilsson plays the son of Dracula. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's goofy. It's goofy. I was, I was um, kind of surprised to learn in that documentary that Richard, I can't remember the guy's last name, but he, he's okay. in this document, he's in that documentary a lot, and he was... Uh, heartbroken at the time that Harry didn't, he was really wanted because, you know, um, Nilsson Schmilson was the one album that came out before that, which has without Nilsen, you. Nilsen, and the, Nilsen Schmilson was his big hit, right? Big hit. Right. So his producer, Richard wanted to follow that up with, with, you know, something even better. Cause he, he felt like they, they were both kind of like, this is our Beatles moment. You know, we get to do yeah. our Sergeant Pepper and yeah. now we can move on and do the white album, whatever, whatever they were trying to advance you know, do something really cool. But Richard, Harry just had some other weird things he wanted to do and wasn't really interested in making another pop record. And Richard Nelson, was really let down. Harry, by there's, Harry, there's a lot of great stuff on that record though. Oh yeah. That's, Harry, Harry couldn't focus. That was always a thing is, yeah. and Lord knows when I watched that, I kind of empathize because um, I'm not the genius that he is, but when you're a creative type and um, you just get pulled in different directions all the time. Even if someone were to come up with me and say that thing that you wrote, that's amazing. Keep going in that vein. I'd be like, yeah, but I kind of got this other weird idea. Um, so I respect that, that he was like, well, I don't feel that way. And, you know, it's like, I want to do my album of covers and you're like, oh, well, yeah, a cover album's okay. 
but shouldn't you be building on this? And, you know, Son of Schmelson, it's not all a material, but again, there's great stuff in there. I think they were always just lucky if he would show up sober mm-hmm. to the studio and lay down some tracks. Mm-hmm. And then he and, um, you know, John Lennon, uh, when they were doing their lost weekend years of uh, New York partying and they did their rock and roll album, you know, John Lennon's rock and roll thing. And, and mm-hmm. that was it. That was Harry literally shouted his voice into oblivion on pussycats. Yeah. Not, not that he sounded bad after it just, it had lost that unbelievable crystal smoothness mm-hmm. and he was no longer able to hit those notes that he used to be able to hit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Take care of your voice also, ladies and gentlemen. That's yeah. another, another thing. Yeah. Leonard Learn from Harry. In, John Lennon said in interviews that he was, the guy was just falling apart in the studio to making that album. And it was, it was painful uh, process. And, and, and John wasn't doing too much better either. So no. that's saying something when John Lennon's like going, yeah, I was worried about the part of it too. And as good, as good of, uh, as good friends as they were, at the time, Harry was really, really nervous to be working with John. I think, I think that's they were so totally he may have been friends. Medicating at the time, yeah. it's weird so to think he about. Wa- he wanted to kind of, he wanted to not be overshadowed because they, even though they had produced stuff of his, like the Beatles had, uh, and Harry was totally pals with all of them, it was still a thing where they hadn't worked together. So I yeah. think it was more like, oh God, I'm with a I'm with a god of rock, and I have mm-hmm. to bring my A game, and probably John being John had crazy esteem issues and and insecurities, and he was probably sitting there going like, I'll never sound anything as good as Harry Nilsson. Yeah, <laughs> but it, I, and a lot of people don't. You have to kind of have to go and listen to these albums to get it. But if you if you listen to John's like walls and bridges, which came out around the same time, Harry appears on walls and bridges, um, actually co-wrote a song with him on that one, uh, going down on love. I think he actually uh, wrote the lyrics to that, which is a great, oh, really? What's that? No, it, no, it is a great song, but I'm like, really? He, co- he wrote those lyrics. Was it going down because- on love? Wait, no, wait, wait, it was, uh, Oh, no, it's old dirt sounds- road. It's old dirt road. That's it's the one not Harry going wrote. down on love because I would, I would have believed he may have, that. Yeah. But old dirt road is the one with the really weird, the, the lyrics are kind of funny and, and, and kind of funky. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I think John had some of the words and ring and uh, Ringo. Harry had suggested a line and John was like, that's great. And he that's, just came out and said, you're Paul on a roll. McCartney just finish, finish writing the songs. Yeah. There you go. It's the finish old uh, Lennon McCartney things. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. I've got a couple ideas you could put in there, but there's, if you listen to th- those two albums that he did with the Richard, Blank, <laughs> the last Richard name Blank, I can't remember. One of my favorites of all Damn the music it. producers. Anyway, um, there's a really clear influence. I think John, not only was Harry influenced by the Beatles, obviously, but I think John was also heavily influenced at that point in his solo career by Harry's work. Um, well, again, you can, you both can totally hear very it on slyly funny guys. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, you read of, any of the, you know, Spaniard in the works and all that stuff. Yeah. That, uh, you know, that's why they got along so well. They were essentially the same guy. <laughs> that that line from Older Road, say, hey, Mr. Hey, Mr. Me, can you... God damn it! Anyway, yeah, those ly- the lyrics are so when you when you find out that Harry wrote those words, it just makes so much sense. Um, yeah, anyway. of course. Uh, so, I'm gonna find that guy's name. You keep talking. 
I keep wanting to say Richard Lewis, but I know that's not. That's not wow, it. that would be interesting. <laughs> Richard Perry. Richard okay. Perry. There it is. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. right at the top. Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember him from the documentary once I yeah, see he's his in picture. It. He's all over. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He also produced Ringo's stuff, too. Which By is, like, um, can I just say one thing I do love about Nielsen Schmilson, besides the fact that every song is a banger. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Jesus. All right. Got to get up. Driving along early in the morning. Early in the morning. The Moonbeam song. Heartbreaker. Down. Mm-hmm. That one just tears you up. Without you, Coconut. Coconut novelty song but fun met mm-hmm. the good times roll and turns out he did write jump into the fire so i was absolutely wrong uh i'll <laughs> never leave you these are all great but i do love the cover that's the thing i always love the fact that his big breakthrough album is just a black and white photo of him in his bathrobe standing yeah. in a kitchen it's just yeah. so great where he's just kind of like hey what's going on <laughs> yeah <laughs> here's my big uh- rock album it's it's a song on the next album, uh, Son of Schmilson, uh, Ambush is the one that makes me think of John. I could picture John singing that oh, song. Oh, sure. Yeah. Ambush is. Yes. It's such a I, It's song. a shame that, uh, I mean, since, you know, they, they both left us too early, but the fact that there was such a, a group of, of mutual respect because mm-hmm. Harry Nilsson loved Randy Newman, so he did an entire album of covers just of Randy Newman. That's what I was trying to remember earlier. Yeah, yeah, that is great. Speaking of Randy uh, Newman, it's so I good. Know. I know, and it's like what a drag, John. If John had been around longer, especially if he were still alive after Harry had passed, you know, there would have been a Lennon album where he just covered Nilsson. Yeah. Oh, that would have been amazing. Like oh John God. doing the Moonbeam song. And you know somewhere there's a private recording of him just noodling around where he probably did do N- Nilsson stuff. And we'll never hear it. You know what's really neat about that? Um, the Randy Newman record, you know, Nilsson sings Newman. Yeah. Is that Randy's actually on it. It didn't yeah. sing on it. But he's, he's the guy playing the piano on most of those yeah. tracks, if not all of them. They work together to, to, on the song selection and everything. What so I neat. find really interesting about it is it is great because Harry gets what Randy does. Mm-hmm. But what's funny is that Harry, when he's singing Newman songs, he's almost imitating him. He, it's, it's sort of like you're like going, you know, you can just be you, Harry. Because like uh, in America, you give food to eat. And you're like going... Why are you singing like Randy? <laughs> this is your album doing Randy Newman songs. Yeah. But of course, when he wants to take it somewhere, he just has a much more flexible voice. Because Randy Newman, as great as he is, and he's great, his voice is just, it's got this narrow window. He can't do a lot with it, mm-hmm. but it's perfect for what he writes. But Harry Nilsson can, so that was great on some of the classic, like, Sail Away. Because by the end, Harry Nilsson's like, Sail Away! And you're like going, oh, oh, yeah, Randy could never have done that. <laughs> right. Randy's yeah. probably at the piano going, shit. Yeah. Shit. I, 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 I read somewhere, too, that the, the song selection was important, too, because they they wanted to do, they, they picked topics and songs that were, songs that had uh, topics that weren't quite as, um, cynical and as, 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 as well, Randy's sail away as is one of the most cynical songs well, ever. Yeah. I can't, I can't remember what the, what exactly the, 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 uh, 
the qualities that they were talking about, but there, there was a specific kind of Randy Newman song that they, that they wanted to put on that album. Uh, Again, for, for a, a songwriter like Randy Newman, there is an acidic wit and there are albums of his like rednecks where you're sitting there going, that could not be made today. Even if you realize he is being blackly cynical, it is dark mm-hmm. stuff that he's presenting in this tuneful way. And he's confronting racial issues uh, and and rednecks and and sort of that that whole racist philosophy by portraying them as incredibly stupid people, but singing from their viewpoint. And you're like going, <laughs> right? It was brave that he did that in the '70s, and that if that was released now, no, they would be yeah. burning his house down. But the thing is, his viewpoints were always so razor sharp. That said. You get a Randy Newman ballad. It's just like with Tom Waits, another guy like that, where you're like story songs. And sometimes they will be uh, scathing or make you feel sad or gross. But you want to get romantic? There are Randy Newman songs that are up there with the greatest love songs ever written. And, you know, same with Tom Waits, where you're like going, that guy wrote that? Holy hell. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I I got great love and affection for these people. I, I wish there were more records like that, the, you know, so-and-so saying so-and-so type of stuff. Sure. You know, we I wish we could have gotten more of that from our, these, our, these heroes of ours who have passed on. Um, but it makes me think, the thing it immediately makes me think of is the work that you mentioned, Elvis Costello, the work that he did with McCartney in the late 80s. Yeah. Uh, where they got together and wrote a bunch of songs, but they didn't actually put a record out together. And I think, I don't know if that was ever on the table, but I think they, they traded Paul was uncomfortable off. with uh, recreating the John. It was something he was always trying to keep Elvis right. at bay. Is like, don't, don't make it too much like John. Cause this is hard for me. You know, this is, they this shared is, the material. So yeah. they, they both got albums out of it. It's right. like, you know, um, one of the, greatest late career McCartney albums flowers in the dirt mm-hmm. uh, is uh, greatly comprised of their collaboration. And then Elvis Costello took a lot of those for like his next album. There's some on spike, which is one of his greatest albums. And you're just sitting there going like, Oh yeah. They just like, Hey, you're going to use that one. Oh no, you can have that one. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they sing backup on each other. Like, cause you, you do get McCartney and, costello singing together sure yeah i think uh mccartney plays bass on some of them but uh you don't Jeez. really get the the hmm. what's that amazing right yeah why would you why would he play why bass? would you have that guy play bass on something <laughs> yeah like veronica, one of the greatest bass players of all time veronica, yeah, veronica. Which is my, probably my favorite song of theirs that they wrote Jesus. together uh, i used to cover that um oh and, nice uh, but i know Man, that i, I don't kill know. to hear you do veronica i don't know if paul sings that one but he definitely plays bass on that track on Elvis's version of it. And the, the cool thing is, I, the, I don't think these have been, some of them have come out, I think as, as bonus tracks, but I don't think all of them are, I'm not sure, but I got a bootleg years ago of the demos, the dem, demo tapes that they recorded together where they actually are singing. Uh, I've uh, heard a couple because they have really come good. out as like, yeah, additional material. It's of course really it's good. really good. Yeah. They're just There's some like songs at a didn't piano. There's one or two songs that never came out that are on there. Yeah. And they're and fantastic. It's just, it's simple stuff, but talk about, I mean, Elvis Costello is a cool customer, but he, of course, is also really upfront. If you read his book and so forth, or you read any of his liner notes, which are always books in and of themselves, but it's, it, yeah. it's that guy, he'll tell you whatever. And, um, but yeah, talk about 
working with your heroes. I mean, he probably was like played it off, but uh, he talks about just like, man, my hands were shaking. It's like, that's Mm. Paul McCartney right there. Where do you even start? But it is great when you hear them just clear voiced with a piano and they're not showing each other up, but they're both also not pulling back. And you're like McCartney at that point still could hit any note you want. The the demo they did for uh, the lovers that never were, is that the title? Lovers that never were. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's uh, the I two it's- that I would cover if I if I played an instrument and was my own uh, if I were able to do a solo thing. So like candy, uh, which is mm-hmm. just stupid, clever wordplay, but it's just a gorgeous melody. I love so like candy and lovers that never were. Yeah. And Paul, and Paul, Paul sings his ass off on that song yeah. in particular, but they're both singing the demo. You can hear both of them singing girl. and it's fantastic. Yeah. It's so I good. Know. It just breaks my heart that they they couldn't just put out a record themselves. You know, I I kept hoping they would do that, but they never did. They never did. Just let it go, man. (laughs) And on that note, Uh, we should uh, we should wrap things up. Yeah, that was a good one. Very musical episode. Very musical episode, and I'm sorry I sang so much. And please don't sue us. <laughs> so I'm going to go and watch, which I wish I'd had time to do this before recorded, but I'm going to go watch the. You're uh, going to go and watch? You, you I'm, really I'm should. I'm going to watch the, uh, the extras for Popeye. I, I bought the digital version of it last nice. night. Nice. This one. Nice. So, because I never actually got the Blu ray you were talking about. So I hope it has I all did. the extras. I had to have it. Yeah. Someday. It's okay. Uh, basically that's Chad's way of saying, Hey listeners, would you please send some money to Chad so we can buy a Blu-ray of Popeye? Yeah. Well, goodbye everybody. Have a wonderful time. Thanks for listening. Um, Thanks for listening. We'll check you later.